Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. So today's topic is decision fatigue, choices, choices. We have too many choices in today's uh, society in many cases, and one would think that having the most choices possible would lead to the best outcomes, but we can actually have too many decisions to make, and so today we'll focus on the problem of having too many decisions and too many options in our lives. I think what really illustrates this is Chipotle. It used to be that if you contrast going to Chipotle and going to a Chinese food restaurant, where they have 900 things on the menu, you literally feel tired flipping through that, trying to figure out exactly what it is you're going to eat, as opposed to going to Chipotle, you go through the line, you can have a bowl or you can have a burrito. You can have chicken, beef, or I think they added pork. But the point is, there's, there's usually a, a vegetarian option in there. There's somewhere. a vegetarian option. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 more yeah, yeah. For uh, people on a diversity of. But the point is, is it's very simple, and there's a certain amount of, uh, I, gu- I guess, comfort that comes and not having to make a lot of decisions associated with ordering what it is you're going to eat. Many times I've looked at a menu, and there are just too many things that are possible, and they all sound good, and so you get almost to this point of inaction because it's like there's kind of anticipated regret for all these. You, you know, you. you come upon something you really like, that's another thing and another thing. And it starts to actually become a problem at a certain point. As our world becomes more and more complex and there's more and more choices to be made, we really do become exhausted. You have a limited ability to actually make choices. A lot of people don't quite understand that. They always tend to think, oh, more choices, better. It's not always the case. There's an important analogy that you can make to the body. So we can move around and run for a certain amount of time, and then we get fatigued. You can't run all day. And it turns out that that's the way the brain works as well. You know, it makes a lot of sense. It's another organic system. If we exert too much effort and too much controlled, deliberative thinking, we wear out. And then at that point, we're in a weakened state, and we're just in a worse position to make decisions. This hits everybody and all sorts of different settings. But for me, as hedge fund manager, we have a lot of decisions we have to make all the time. So I make a conscious effort to make as few decisions outside of my professional life as I possibly can. For instance, if I go out to eat with somebody, I just get what they're ordering. I don't even make the decision to order myself. If uh, we're ordering something for the office, I always tell whoever it is that's making the order, just pick something that would be relatively healthy, and that's it. It's interesting we keep gravitating back to food because there's a, there's some fascinating science behind decision fatigue that's very much related to glucose levels in our body. So one of the uh, originators of this work is a psychologist named Roy Baumeister, and he coined this term ego depletion. So if you think about the ego of uh, Sigmund Freud, it's this idea, this kind of character in your mind that's that's the, the supervisor and the executive, and uh, depletion implies that making decisions, exerting mental effort actually depletes you. And so other research showed that uh, when you give someone a milkshake or a drink high in glucose, it restores some of the resolve that someone has. So not it's kind of like feeding your muscles with protein. You, know, you can kind of uh, move your glucose level up or pick your 
uh, other sort of injection. Maybe caffeine is a good example. And uh, that actually seems to replenish our willpower and our resolve. And we're a little bit better equipped to make decisions after we sort of give our mind some resources. No matter how much we take these efforts to be able to have additional resources to make decisions, we have a limited number of decisions that we can make effectively within a given day. I think it's important to think about that when you're going to work and you're planning your day, what type of decisions you're going to have to make throughout the day. You probably want to take those decisions that are the most important and have those higher in the queue so that you're going to be able to make those decisions when you have the most ability to be able to do so in a well-reasoned fashion. You can think about that difference between intuitive decisions and well-reasoned deliberative decisions here. You're going to be stuck with the intuitive decision if you've made too many deliberative decisions up front. So I, I think you're right. You want to structure your day in a way that if you've got an important task to do or decision to make, try to make it earlier before you're in a depleted state. Uh, some of the research on the legal situation is interesting here. So with uh, parolees, one study was done where they showed the same crime, the same amount of time served, and they're both up for parole. If they would go up and their case was heard earlier in the day, they had a better shot at getting parole. Because by the end of the day, the judge was kind of like, well, they just made too many decisions and wanted to get through it. Just deny it. Yeah, no doubt. There are some other ways that you can also help yourself address decision fatigue. One is to try to systematize decision making. If you can go and create rules to deal with certain circumstances that arise and they take out the necessity that you sit there and consider everything, you can really avoid some of the fatigue associated with hemming and hawing about every detail and every decision that arises throughout your day. That's right. Limiting the number of options is another nice way to cope with decision fatigue. And actually, as human beings, something about our brains, we don't necessarily want loads and loads of choices. We don't do that well with them. Sometimes having a, a narrower search space of options is quite helpful to us, and we're, we're more effective that way. I can think of an example from my own life. I had to pick out furniture for my lab space, and I was very excited at the prospect. I went to a, a furniture showroom, and I thought of these interesting color schemes I might use, and they even gave me an espresso, so my brain was caffeinated. I was all raring to go. After a while, it would sort of come around to, well, you should really go with the light color would be their advice, beige or taupe. And then at a certain point, when my mind was no longer caffeinated, I was just tired of the whole process. I just wanted to check out on it. I decided at some point they could pretty much send any form of taupe, white, or beige. And I not only would I not care, I wouldn't even necessarily know the difference. Right. And you think about being decisive too, that can be affected by situations when you're faced with way too many decisions. And this may be a little bit extreme, but you know, when Cortez came to the Americas, he burned his boats and really there was no choice to be able to go home afterwards. They had to move forward with their mission. I'm not suggesting anything that extreme, but it's good to know that if you have more limited decisions, you can make them more decisively. You're not going to sit there and dither about so many different options that you have to confront. It really is fatiguing at a biological system level. So one of the really fun studies on this is it turns out dogs suffer from decision fatigue as well, which is a little unintuitive, but uh, what they did 
said is they would train these obedience dogs to sit still. And a well-trained dog can do this for about 10 to 15 minutes. So in one group, they had a bunch of dogs that had to sit for 15 minutes. And then they would give them a test. And the test for a dog was one of these clear dog toys with peanut butter in it. And the dog would, couldn't get to the peanut butter, but could see it there and smell it. And it, it would just work hard to try to get to that unobtainable treat. And so the dogs that were obedience dogs that had to sit wouldn't work as long on getting the peanut butter out of this invisible toy as dogs that were crated for 15 minutes. So by having to exert mental effort and stay in place, it actually depleted their resolve to solve a future problem in their context. The other fascinating thing is they gave the dogs a glucose drink. And sure enough, after the, the shot of glucose, the obedience dogs that had to stay were replenished and they would work just as long for the peanut butter after that. So it's interesting. There's There's got to be some overlap here too, Dan, when you're thinking about, for instance, trying to form new habits. It's really not a great idea to try to form multiple habits at the same time just because you don't have the mental energy and presence of mind to be able to do to, to adopt several new habits. It takes a lot of focus to be able to do that. Where's the crossover? What's happening in the mind where decision fatigue overwhelms you or when you have something that you have to focus on, a higher number of things where that require our attention eventually exhausts us? There's a magic number in psychology and neuroscience, four plus or minus one. And that's the number of things you can hold in mind at any given point. We call it working memory, this kind of system where if I tell you a phone number and you're about to dial it in, you can remember the numbers long enough to get it in. So that makes sense, right? About six, four, maybe three, four, five, six numbers is about the number you can hold. Uh, we can expand that by what process called chunking. So if you, you can sometimes turn three digits into one item, if you know, if it's your area code, for example. There's some biological limit on the number of things that we can process at any one time. So when you're trying to form a habit, if you're trying to do multiple things at once, sort of multitasking, you're going to get a worse outcome. And part of it is almost like a resource. You can think of a metaphor of the amount of energy or the amount of neural processing that you can apply to something, the amount of brain power. And uh, we do have our limits there. So a sensible practice is to really pare down the possible complexity, you know, master it once, and then you can build a bigger chunk. And then when you go at this in the future, you can do more complex things, but you've got to start smaller. It's interesting. And I really think it, it plays into our productive lives. How do you deal with all the various distractions that we get hit with? For instance, dealing with email. A lot of people, they deal with email throughout the entire day. Email can pop up in the middle of focusing on something else. It provides a distraction, something that you have to attend to. And a lot of times the decisions that are being made there are not always that in intensive or important. so But they wear you down. They do they? wear you down. So perhaps it's a good idea to take a point in time later in the day where you're going to block off a certain amount of time only to answering email and then set it aside. Don't have pop-ups you know, popping up onto your screen in the middle of some other intensive activity where you have an important decision you're trying to make. This is another uh, almost rule of parsimony about humans. So we, we went from face-to-face conversation down to phone calls, you know, making it one one step more removed, down to emails, where it's even more removed. And now we're down to text messages. And if those get too long, we're not happy. So there is some sweet spot. We do try to minimize, we're kind of cognitive misers. We'll try to minimize the effort. But email is a, is a real conundrum because we get these small burst communications and they just pile up. And it's extremely effortful to have to essentially sort them based on priority. And uh, they don't sort themselves. And any software solution is still lacking because it's so individual 
individualized to you. So I think you're right. What we have to do is move that into a portion of our day. I've heard this before that stacking it up later, you don't want to attend fully to your email, especially when you're just getting rid of spam and, and answering minor messages. So it, that's a, a task well suited to the latter part of the day and sort of block it off and just say for this 20 minutes, all I'm going to do is email. Then I'm stopping. I'm going to do something else. That can be an effective way to cope with this. Yeah, I think this and text messaging, they have an, another element to them that make them even more insidious and that there's a bit of dopamine that you get hit with when you get a message, right? There's some new stimulus that's coming your way. I found myself before refreshing my email to see, well, what else has somebody sent me? Uh, I get so much of it. In some ways, when we're depleted, we're in that cognitive ego depleted state, it kind of feels good to knock out a bunch of email messages, especially if they're sort of minor. That's a minor achievement. But I think we ought, we ought to consider it to be really a minor achievement. You shouldn't be celebrating that too much, right? You, you really want to make the big decisions count earlier in your day or eat a meal. You know, I mean, that's a very practical sort of solution. Don't neglect eating and drinking. Drink water. You know, hydrating really helps. You know, caffeine helps to some degree. You can certainly overdo it there. Exercising some moderation in your life not only what you're working on, but also re replenishing resources is important. What about things like sleep and meditation? Does, do those make a difference with respect to your ability to handle a higher volume of decision-making? They do, and I think we're turning the corner as a society. There was a time when being sleep-deprived and pulling an all-nighter was seen as some badge of honor. Um, the realities of it are that sleep is an incredibly active, restorative process for our brains. We're not simply wasting time by sleeping. In fact, sleep is very linked to memory. So if we're going to have a stronger chance of finding a memory, uh, we're much better off the next day. Turns out our region called the hippocampus is very involved in consolidating our memories, and it's very active during sleep. And we go through sleep cycles. You have to get in enough sleep cycles. And what I mean by that is we go from deep sleep to more of a shallow sleep, REM sleep. And uh, you need to go through those biological cycles, and it does have this restorative process. That's great advice to get enough sleep, I would say to the to the college student who's considering cramming all night, you may still have to cram part of the night, but get some sleep in there because you're just going to have a better shot at finding the information the next day. Yeah, that's great, Dan. I think we've kind of rounded this one out. Can you think of anything else that we've left on the table? I don't think so. We, it helps to think of the brain as very much like the body in a lot of ways, where you need to give it rest, give it sleep, and replenish it. And so with that, let's go ahead and just recap our advice for this particular topic on decision fatigue. One thing I would take away is try to make fewer decisions throughout your day, and also prioritize them so that you're making your, your strongest uh, decision with your best mental resources earlier in the day. And go to bed. You need some sleep. Definitely. And with that, we'll wrap up. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.